Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Union density in America. The percentage drops slightly, but the number goes up. We'll explain. After a one-day strike, California State University faculty reach a tentative deal. And today on the show, the heat and frost insulators and the United Faculty of Illinois State University. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 24th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Pete Almini will be our first guest on the show today. He comes to us from the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators. He serves as Executive Director of the Labor Management Trust. You can check him out online at Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. We'll get an update right away on the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. This is House Resolution 4663, and right now, Pete is doing his job. They're up to uh, 35 co-sponsors, and they've got sponsors on both sides of the aisle. That would be very, very good if that trend continues, and we'll talk about that. Mechanical insulation, by the way, is the one thing that goes into a building and starts paying for itself as soon as the system is activated. And we're talking about 355,000 federal buildings that need mechanical insulation and will save taxpayers money. I know it sounds like a no-brainer, but keep in mind we're dealing with Congress here. So we'll touch on that. We'll also touch on uh, the Mechanical Insulation Installation Incentive Act, tax credits to install mechanical insulation, And this all ties in with the legislation, so we'll cover all of that and more with Pete Almini. Keith Plimers will be joining us later in the show, and he is a bargaining team member at the United Faculty of Illinois State University. Here's their website. It's ufisu-upi.org. I know that's a lot. Let me repeat that, U-F-I-S-U-U-P-I dot O-R-G. Now, Keith is an assistant professor at Illinois State, been there since uh, 2018, teaching early modern European and environmental history. He was a member of the organizing committee for the union and is part of the contract action team and bargaining group working to secure their first contract. Now, here's the deal. Just recently, the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Board certified their union, that is the United Faculty of Illinois State University, and they will represent about 650 faculty members. Now, back in October, they submitted close to 400 authorization cards showing a majority of the employees in support of unionizing. And uh, Key said the union, well... They need to help out the professors there because they've got a lot of issues. He points out at this stage in the United States, public higher education faces a number of serious threats, especially on collective bargaining. 
organizing new faculty unions and working to strengthen and grow existing ones is crucial for the future of our institutions. So he's going to get into all of that and more as our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Another new guest joining the show. I like that. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The union membership rate in America. Now, this is the percentage of wage and salary workers who were members of unions was 10.0% last year. Very little change from the previous year. Okay, in 2022, it was 10.1%. It dropped 0.1%. Still, 14.4 million people in America belong to a union. That's pretty substantial. In fact, even though the percentage drop, there are more people joining unions. 135,000 more joined unions last year. Why did it drop? Well, because there's more people in the workplace. That's why. And keep in mind, this is not what you call really, really good scientific data. This was compiled by the Labor Department. They do this a population survey. It's a sample of 60,000 eligible households that obtains information on employment and unemployment among the nation's civilian population. So there's, there's a lot of wiggle room in there. Now, let me get specific on the numbers here. The union membership rate of public sector workers, 32.5%, which is more than five times higher than the rate of private sector workers. Private sector workers, just 6%. Highest unionization rates were among workers in education, training, library occupations, and protective service occupations. Men continued to have a higher union membership rate than women, 10.5% to women at 9.5%. Still pretty close, though. Black workers remain more highly to be union members than white, Asian, or Hispanic workers. Non-union workers had medium weekly earnings that were 86% of earnings for workers who were union members. We're talking a difference of $1,090 for non-union, $1,263 for union members. Among states, Hawaii and New York had the highest union membership rates. 24.1% in Hawaii and 20.6% in New York. Now, on the other side, South Carolina and North Carolina had the lowest. South Carolina, 2.3%. North Carolina, 2.7%. Actually, South Carolina went up over the years. They were under 2%. For a while, at one time, I believe they were 1.7%. Last year, 7 million employees in the public sector belonged to unions compared with 7.4 million workers in the private sector. The number of union workers employed in the private sector actually increased by 191,000 to 7.4 million last year. Industries with high unionization rates included utilities, almost 20%, 
Transportation and warehousing, just shy of 16%. Educational services, just shy of 13%. How about this one? Motion picture and sound recording industries, 12.1%. The American Federation of Teachers was quick to respond on this uh, survey, which just came out yesterday. And Randy Weingarten, the president of the AFT, said that they, the AFT, organized 83 new units in 2023. And this is what she's quoted as saying, you know, last year was a transition year for the American economy and for American workers who, despite ongoing hostility from employers and attacks on the right to organize from right-wing extremist governors and legislatures, continue to organize together in workplaces. That's what unions did. In fact, the number of working people joining unions is increasing. And then she pointed out the 135,000 figure. That's the amount of people that joined unions last year. So uh, bottom line is we're holding our own. We're gaining membership. And pop- the problem is the uh, population is increasing at the same time. We're going to talk more about this with Bill Samuel, the government affairs director of the AFL-CIO tomorrow. After one day of striking, California State University faculty have reached a tentative deal, which will immediately raise salaries by 5%. And this is applied retroactively from July 1st of last year. And they're going to increase salaries by another 5% this coming July 1st. The deal will also raise the salary of lowest paid faculty members currently set at 54360 by $3,000 and, get this, increase paid parental leave from six weeks to 10 weeks. Now, the deal comes after eight months of negotiations between the California Faculty Association and University Management and marks a close to the first strike mobilizing faculty from all 23 campuses of California State University. Another news media company is announcing significant layoffs. The publishing company Condnast announced that it would be combining two subsidiary companies together, which means accompanying layoffs. It'll be folding the music criticism site Pitchfork into the men's magazine GQ. Condé Nast declined to say publicly how many employees were laid off at either company. In November, they laid off 270 workers, or about 5% of their total workforce. Now, we reported earlier this week on a walkout by the L.A. Times Newsroom Guild to protest the newspaper's upcoming layoffs. In fact, yesterday, they announced they will cut at least 115 newsroom positions in a round of layoffs. The uh, owner of the paper, Patrick Soon Xiong, said that the Times needs to bring in more readers who could help build subscription and advertising revenue and stem losses of 30 to $40 million a year. Now, the layoffs constitute more than 20% of the newsroom at the Times, according to the paper. They're expected to include both union staffers and managers, with the exact number potentially changing as the union's contractual layoff procedure continues for the next 30-some days. Now, earlier yesterday, the president of the Media Guild of the West, which represents around 400 newsroom staffers at the Times, 
said on X that the union was informed 94 guild jobs would be cut. This total, while devastating, is nonetheless far lower than the total number of guild layoffs initially expected. So, bad news, but it could have been worse. Bad news, but it could have been worse. Meanwhile, um, the workers at Sports Illustrated, and we talked about this a couple days ago, they learned that a significant portion of staff would be laid off. The union representing Sports Illustrated employees said the layoffs would affect a significant number, possibly all of the magazine's staff. And they called on the owner, Authentic Brands Group, to ensure the continued publication of Sports Illustrated and allow it to serve their audience in the way it has for nearly 70 years. So sad here, but uh, that's exactly what's been going on in the print industry. A lot of these publications failed to embrace their online presence and figure out a way to make money online. That's the problem there. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, Mr. Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulator. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now... 
back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to the state of New Jersey and join one of our longtime regulars. That would be Pete Almini. Pete is the executive director of the Labor Management Trust of the Heat and Frost Insulators. Now, we have two websites I'm going to throw your way. Insulators.org. Insulators.org. Do check that out. A lot of information on how you can become an insulator. And then there's the uh, Mechanical Insulators Trust. Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. And that's where uh, Pete comes from. And he's going to talk about getting more sponsors for the federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Mr. Pete Almini, my Jersey guy. How are we doing today, brother? Hey, how are we doing today? <laughs> We're doing pretty good. A lot of melting going on in northeastern Ohio. We had a pretty pretty good snowstorm the other day, but uh, today temperature's in the 50s, and it, it's crazy weather, but that's the world we live in today. All the more reason. we got to make sure that we do the right things in our buildings, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, mechanical insulation. Pete, where do we stand? You know, you've been working this pretty well, and I'm reading 35 co-sponsors, so obviously you are, you're grinding this out. Talk to me about it, Pete. Yeah, that's a, that's a good term to use. Uh, we are grinding it out, and uh, typically for impatient men like me, this is taking forever to get done. But according to the political experts, uh, we're, we're on light speed getting this thing uh, accomplished and getting the co-sponsors and moving this thing forward. So uh, we are excited with this. We have uh, uh, 35 co-sponsors. It seems like every other week I am on Capitol Hill um, sitting down with uh, various congressional offices. I'm very proud of the fact that it's... Uh, we're sitting down with Democratic and Republican offices, and uh, it seems that the political uh, headbutting is is not existent with this bill because it just makes sense. It makes sense that federal buildings, uh, there are existing laws and regulations that require that the federal building or facility gets uh, evaluated for its energy uh, efficiency every four years and they do a great job of that but they don't doesn't include mechanical insulation and they're missing a big part of it and all this bill is doing uh, hr 4663 is be able just to insert uh, the aspect of mechanical insulation to be part of the evaluation of a federal building once every four years and with that comes the mechanical insulation uh, auditing process where we can generate uh, scientific engineered proven reports that we look at the mechanical system and if there were needs for increased efficiency uh, we can we can highlight that uh, present that to the building owner or the committee and be able to also offer a rate of return on how much of that would be uh, the rate of return is usually less than two years and uh, really, it's a no-brainer. But the, the biggest part of all this, as I said many times uh, with you, Flash, is making people realize how much energy can be saved once your mechanical insulation is up to snuff. And this is what this does. This makes the building owners realize that this is a no-brainer, but we just have to be able to get to the right people to be able to make this happen. And with the 
legislation that we have uh, moving forward, um, we're getting it. We're, we're getting that awareness. Uh, we do have 35 co-sponsors. Uh, I am slated uh, to go into Capitol Hill next week to speak to more Republican and Democratic uh, offices um, uh, to persuade them to support this bill as co-sponsors. And the development that just came up last month, which is really, really a, the, one of the next uh, hurdles, is that we have Senator Markey, Democrat from uh, Massachusetts, uh, and uh, he's going to sponsor the Senate companion bill to the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act, which is which is another major accomplishment. Um, we don't have a bill number yet. We are looking to get a Republican co-sponsor, and we're real close to that. I don't want to mention that names. I don't want to uh, ruin anything and letting the, the cat out of the bag, but um, we've had support on the Senate side as well, Republican and Democrat, and it's just a matter of getting that bill uh, introduced, and hopefully this time next month I can be uh, telling you about the, the, the Senate bill uh, with the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. Uh, for those people who don't know, in order for something to become law, a bill has to be passed both in the House of Representatives and also in the Senate. When both bills are passed in the Houses, then it goes to the President's desk, and once he signs it, then it becomes law. So we're trying to, we're trying to get this Federal Mechanical Insulation Act to become law. What's uh, one of our achievable goals is to get it done this year, and we're, we're making good headway on it. Well, that, that's still a tall order because of one thing. It's a presidential election year, and I'm just wondering. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, Pete. Is, is that slowing things down? Because you knew, you know a lot of these lawmakers that you're dealing with. The, the first thing on their, on their meeting list is, well, who's going who's gonna to help my campaign? And then there's all the lobbyists that are you know, tugging them in so many different directions. What, do you, what can you tell our listeners about that right now? Well, that's a that's a, a very valid point that you're making, and I, I'm not the expert to be able to really weigh in on that. Other than what I hear, the uh, when I sit down with the offices, they they like this bill typically because it's short, it's simple, it makes sense. It's going to de definitely benefit the taxpayer. Um, we all, as taxpayers, uh, through our contributions in the tax system to fund these buildings. And if we can improve the efficiency of these buildings, lower the cost of operation, you know, that looks good. And uh, it may get, it, this may get bogged down with the political minutiae that's going on in, in Washington, but it also can be said, this also may be accelerated because this is something that the lawmakers can brag about. This is what they have done to help the taxpayers to be able to um, make the money that is spent more efficient. So it, it, it also could be a, a shining example of, of this bill. And although it's small, you know, they can group this in with other bills and be able to pass a whole bunch of them so they can brag about what, what, what did they do, politicians meaning, or the representatives, what did they do for the taxpayer? And it's a, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to tell the taxpayers uh, 
you know, what's being accomplished. You know, there's a one thing I'm impressed about is a lot of headlines in the news with all of this uh, uh, election year and and Biden and Trump and Democrat and Republican. You know, that's just the headlines of the news. Uh, you know, Congress, they're working every day. They're working on on uh, on many hundreds and hundreds of bills, and they and they pass them and they, and they move along. And there's and there's so many things going on in Congress right now, is that. The headlines are the headlines, but uh, the majority of what these congressmen do and senators do, you know, they they grind out and they and they argue and they debate and they try to make laws to benefit this country. And hopefully, the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act is going to be part of it, where they can they can want to get this thing passed so they can prove to the to the taxpayer this is what's being done to help help save money. Boy, I'm so glad you pointed that out because every time I turn on the TV, especially a news channel, uh, national national networks, it's so much politics. And I'm, I, I say to myself, come on, there's other things going on in the world. I mean, just stop this madness now. But I get it. I mean, elections are big news and all that, but there's other things that should be covered. And this is one of them. And this is one of them. We're talking about saving money for taxpayers. We should give the... Uh, number of the bill out it's hr 4663 house resolution 4663 the federal mechanical insulation act we're talking about using mechanical insulation in our federal buildings and the number just just correct me here if i'm wrong pete isn't it 355,000 federal buildings in the united states isn't that uh, isn't that the number that is correct it's over over 350,000 buildings that we're looking at absolutely Yes. So, so we're talking about saving energy and reducing greenhouse emissions. It's so important. And right now, as Pete pointed out, we have uh, 35 co-sponsors in the House. We have bipartisan support in the Senate. Hopefully, uh, they're going to get some bipartisan support. They're working on a Senate version of this bill. All right, we're going to continue with Pete. There's more to come. I want to talk about the Mechanical Insulation Installation Incentive Act and also thermal imaging. Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com is a website. We'll continue with Pete, and later in the show, Keith Plimers will be joining us on behalf of the United Faculty of Illinois State University. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. GE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. 
Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACweb.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So... Thank you very much, and thank you for making America's Workforce such a popular show. 25% increase in listenership from 2022 to 2023, and we are in the top 1% of all podcasts in the United States. All 50 states now, three provinces in Canada. So the working person's message is getting out there, and we will continue to get it out there. Let's go back to our uh, live line. Rejoin Pete Almini on behalf of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators. Pete serves as the executive director of the Labor Management Trust, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. All right, talk to me about this uh, Mechanical Insulation Installation Incentive Act. This would be H.R. 6104. Give us some specifics on this and what uh, this is, I guess, like a companion bill. Can you explain what's going on here, Pete? Sure. It's, it's sort of a companion bill. Um, it was introduced uh, uh, late in the year, last year. It is uh, uh, sponsored by Linda Sanchez, a Democrat from California. The same uh, Linda Sanchez has been a champion for the insulators. Um, she's also sponsored the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. And um, But this tax incentive bill is with Linda Sanchez, a Democrat from California, and Fitzpatrick, a Republican out of Pennsylvania. So, again, uh, we're introducing this bill with bipartisan support, uh, which is extremely important. And what we just started, we just started with this bill, and we're, we're trying to get uh, some momentum going with it, and, we're, and we are uh, behind the scenes. But basically what the bill offers, it's going to be a reduction of a tax credit uh, for anyone that's going to install mechanical insulation. Now, that's true. That's going to be involving the homeowner as well. But also, it'll really become uh, advantageous for facility owners, uh, public or, or private, uh, to be able to install mechanical insulation. And if they did portion of that will be part of their their tax tax credit and or tax reduction uh, so you get a discount of your taxes if you're going to install mechanical insulation and the savings that you're going to get out of that will definitely be more than a tax credit but it's a it's an incentive it, it's a conversation to be able to get people interested in installing mechanical insulation and you get a small reduction in your taxes but you're you're going to see a huge increase in savings of your uh, utility bill. 
many times I make the analogy, it's like a, a large department store or a car dealership, you know, they have a sale and they're going to reduce the sale price by 10%, 20%. They want to get they want to get you into the store and be able to buy buy merchandise and mm -hmm. uh, it's worth it to be able to um, sacrifice a little bit of money because the bigger picture is to sell more product and the government feels the same way if we can get people to invest just a little bit of money on the mechanical insulation we're going to save a whole lot more money and the federal government sees that as well and the government will save a tremendous amount of money. Um, and with the taxpayer receiving a little bit of kickback uh, with the tax incentive. So the, the details still have to be worked out, but the concept is to be able to incentivize uh, a business or a uh, homeowner to install mechanical insulation. You know, in the retail industry, they call that a loss leader. They would sell something at a true loss. It would be below the cost that they paid for just to get the customer in the store so they can buy other products that they're going to make money on. You follow my lead on that? Absolutely. In fact, my wife is a good advocate of that. They get her into the store and she, and she buys what's on sale and then she buys other stuff as well. Yes. There you go. All right, Pete, good conversation as usual. Pete Almini with the Mechanical Insulators Trust. That's mechanicalinsulatorslmct.com where he serves as executive director. You take care. We'll talk to you next month. Okay, brother? Okay, Flash. Thank you very much. You take care of yourself. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to link up with Keith Plimers. Keith is a bargaining team member with the United Faculty of Illinois State University. He'll be coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, 
your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Speaking of uh, teaching, let's go to Normal, Illinois right now. And joining us on line number two, we have another newcomer to the show. His name is Keith Plimers, and Keith is a bargaining team member at the United Faculty of Illinois State University. Here's the website, ufisu-upi.org. Keith is an assistant professor at the university. He's uh, worked there since 2018, teaching modern European and environmental history. And again, he's a member of the organizing committee. And the good news is, just recently, the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Board certified their union, and we're talking 650 faculty members. Keith, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. Maybe you can give us a, a little history on how you got to this point. And as you well know, I'm sure I'm sure you were told getting a first contract is not going to be an easy task. But uh, let's let's cover all of that more. But talk to me about getting your. Uh, your brothers and sisters over there at the university to join the union. How difficult was that, Keith? Yeah, so first, thanks so much for having me, and, and thanks for all you do to, to bring the importance and the work of organized labor to, to people across the country. I really appreciate it. Uh, this union effort started a little more than two and a half years ago with a group of faculty having a conversation. Some of us had been part of previous efforts at organizing the campus. There have been organizing efforts here for decades with the last really big one that got close coming in the year 2000. So we, we ended up taking on a problem uh, and taking on a challenge that had been sitting for, for over 20 years. And through two years of one-on-one organizing conversations, moving across the campus, going back and forth to people multiple times, we were able to start to build a consensus, get a, get a clear sense of, of what some of the key issues were that were facing faculty, what they loved about their jobs and that they wanted to protect and were afraid might get damaged uh, with shifts in administration, shifts in state policy, federal policy, things like that. And also to think about what, what needed improvement, where, where they were struggling at work, out of those conversations, we worked together and drafted a mission statement that we circulated to faculty and had an overwhelming majority sign it uh, that ended up being a real kickoff and an anchor to our public organizing campaign, which launched this past fall with a rally on campus. And we moved really quickly through the faculty. Uh, Illinois has card check or majority interest petition. So we were able to go and, and collect cards from our colleagues, and there was a lot of appetite to, to strengthen the campus by, by forming a union. And then the, what we've been doing ever since has been waiting for certification, which, which came in January, and 
now we're ready to pivot to bargaining. And now the union is part of University Professionals of Illinois, Local 4100, and affiliated with the Illinois Federation of Teachers, which is part of the American Federation of Teachers and the American Association of University Professors. So you, you got a lot of firepower behind you there, no, no doubt about that. You, you talked about some of the key issues. Can you be more specific on, on why this is happening? What, what are the issues there in Illinois? So overall, I, ISU, I think a lot of us would say, is a good place to work, and, and we've had positive experiences, but as part of our relationship with the AAUP, uh, the AUP just had an expert help us by providing some financial analysis of the publicly audited uh, statements from the university, and that revealed something that faculty have known through our anecdotal experiences over years or decades of working here, which is that while the university maintains an overall position of financial soundness, faculty are not keeping up with that. So we're working for less money each year when you factor in inflation. Our salaries are lower than a lot of peer institutions, other unionized public uh, universities in the state of Illinois, uh, other peer institutions in other states. And so the faculty who are, who are working really hard to ensure that our students get the experience they deserve are often doing so through uncompensated labor, through work that happens off contract in the summers and in breaks. And even when we're on contract and working, we're, we're often doing it at wages that are, are, are not competitive with, with other universities in the sector. And, and as a result, there, there are some real issues with faculty retention. There are, there are significant issues where people who've been working here for 20 years because the raises have been so anemic are seeing their salary nearly equivalent to people who were hired far more recently than them. So we have wage compression. We've got salary inversions where people who've been around a long time are getting paid as much or sometimes less than, than new people. But it's not just about sort of how we're compensated as faculty. We also understood that some of the issues we faced were about how we relate to our students and to things like student support. So a, a huge number of the, the faculty members that we talked to who went on to join the union saw this as a way to strengthen the institution and to really put us in a more forceful position to advocate for, for our students. And in part, that comes from things, so that it's well known that there are nationwide issues with mental health on college campuses across the country. And right now, uh, a lot of faculty are essentially performing emergency triage. When we have a student who is in distress, we're the ones who are fielding some of those conversations. And, and while we're trying our hardest, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not a trained mental health professional. Um, K-12 unions across the country have really emphasized the importance of wraparound and support services mm -hmm. at their schools. Chicago Teachers Union, uh, UTLA, and Los Angeles have both made that a key plank of some of their bargaining campaigns. And we see those same issues in higher ed. And so we're really going to try to make that a, a big part of how we approach bargaining for our first contract. What about adjuncts? Because I've, I've talked to a lot of people uh, in positions like yourself, and you see a lot of these universities bringing adjuncts in there. 
that are paid way, way less than people that are full-time professors, much like yourself. Is that an issue in, in this discussion? So we have non-tenure track faculty at ISU. Uh, they understood the importance of collective bargaining to protecting their working conditions and, and ensuring that they were going to have the resources they need to do a good job. Um, they are they unionized years ago um, with the IEA, the Illinois Education Association, and so we are a separate bargaining unit from them, but we're, we are looking to support our, our unionized colleagues across campus. ISU is a heavily unionized campus. We were the last domino, to, one of the last dominoes to fall and the biggest domino to fall, but we are looking forward to collaborating with our union siblings in, in AFSME, uh, in IATSE, uh, and in, in the IEA, uh, and in SEIU with the graduate workers who are also unionized. So it's a union campus. There's a lot of contracts being bargained this semester. And while we're going to fight hard for our own, we are, it, it's very important to a lot of our members, it's important to all of us who did the organizing, that our union becomes a tool for solidarity with the other workers on campus as well. Well, you are in a union-friendly state compared to some of the southern states. There's no question about that. So first contract, um, do we have anything scheduled here that you can talk about, Keith? I wish we did. Um the day after we got certification, we went and took our demand to bargain to, to management and, and we said, hey, let's get to the table. We, we are eager to sit down and, and bargain in good faith. We are looking forward to productive discussions and we think bargaining is going to be a good clarifying event where the administration of the university is going to get a much clearer understanding of our jobs and, and where hopefully we can create a contract that's going to be a foundation for much more positive labor management relations for, for years to come. Right now, uh, we, are, we have not heard back on what dates are going to be set. So we're working hard. We sent out a bargaining survey. We're working with our members. We're, we're doing more conversations and meetings to, to really hone the issues that are going to be key. And, and we're working on drafting up proposals for a contract. Uh, we're, we're just waiting for management to come to the table. We're, we're looking forward to good faith bargaining, but we need the other side to show up. Yeah, I was reading in a, in a news release, this comes from the university, that uh, they are aware of the certification. When you got the certification earlier this month, they are aware of it, and they intend to work in good faith with United Faculty of Illinois State University. So that's got to make you feel pretty good. I mean, you, you know they can delay this a little bit, but you, you got to feel pretty good going into this. Is, am, I, am I correct in saying that, Keith? Yeah, so I, I do feel good. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that they are looking forward to bargaining in good faith, and as I said, we are too. Given the, the strength of faculty at this university and, and the work we are doing now and are going to continue to do to make sure that everyone is organized and ready to mobilize to support our campaign for a strong contract, we, we feel positive about what we can do. When we look at the fact that Illinois is a union-friendly state, that the state legislature has understood that they've underfunded 
higher education for too long and are taking some really positive corrective steps to fix that and are trying to ensure that public institutions in the state of Illinois have the resources we need to serve the students of this state, to serve the citizens of this state. This is not a world where we need to talk about deep austerity and there not being money and there not being resources and trying to make do with less. This is a chance for us through bargaining to create a contract that really imagines what a strong, robust public institution that serves students, that serves the public of Illinois, that serves the state can do. And I think this is a key step to us doing that. Well, Keith, you have our support here on America's Workforce. Keep in touch with us. This show is your show as well. This is all about workers and making sure workers get good contracts. So stay safe and stay in touch. Okay, brother? Yep. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the interview and all you do. All right. That's Keith Plimers. He's the bargaining team member at the United Faculty of Illinois State University. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. That more. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.